Hello and welcome back to Season 2 of Give Me Some Truth. On this podcast, I present and highlight new research that helps to unravel fact from fiction in the Beatles' history. My name is Obadiah. This is Episode 2. Let's go. When we got back to Britain last October, we'd been touring Sweden, and when this Beatlemania thing started, you know, we didn't we didn't hear about it because we were away. We just landed in London. Everybody was there smashing the place up. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Beatlemania, a word originally used to describe the amazing frenzy created by the Beatles as they became the most popular group in Britain. The hysteria then spread to Europe, America, and across the globe. In time, Beatlemania came to encapsulate the hectic touring years of the Beatles' early fame, 1963-66. In 1977, the term became the title of the flop Broadway musical that produced the cast recording album and the even more critically condemned 1981 movie. Today in the UK, you can go see the tribute group Beatlemania. But where did the term Beatlemania originate? It is generally believed that Beatlemania was coined in the British papers, after the Beatles' first appearance on Sunday night at the London Palladium on the 13th of October, 1963. And it is true that the group faced huge crowds of fans while entering and exiting the theatre that night. Bob Spitz, for example, stated this origin story in his 2005 biography. Both Philip Norman in 1981's Shout and Hunter Davies in his 1968 authorised biography also intimate that it was the London Palladium show that marked the explosion of Beatlemania in Britain, and the following day's headlines. While the events that Sunday were nationally reported on Monday the 14th of October, I cannot actually find an example of the word Beatlemania being used that day. As we will see, it took a while longer for most of the big national papers to catch on to the term. As early as mid-September 1963, regional British newspapers began describing the increased fan delirium for the musical craze infecting the nation. The Aberdeen Press and Journal, for example, reported on the 20th of September that Beatle fever is sweeping the country in the biggest epidemic of its kind since the advent of rock and roll, and the fever flames will be fanned in Scotland next month when a Northeast man promotes the Beatles on a three-day Scottish tour. That Northeast Scottish promoter was a man named Albert Bonici, who had also brought the group to Scotland in January 1963 when there was hardly any fever at all. Bonici's assistant, a man called Andy Lothian, has claimed that he coined the term Beatlemania during the Beatles' appearance at Caird Hall in Dundee on the 7th of October. Here he is describing the story to STV in 2017. Something was happening in the music world. There was only one commercial radio station, that was Radio Luxembourg. I used to listen to Luxembourg and I, I was fascinated by these new records that were coming out. We decided to book the Beatles and we brought them to Scotland for four days Glasgow sold out in three hours. Well, I think it was the Odeon. Now, here in the Caird Hall, we had no idea what we were facing. So I come on stage. The kit is there. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the Beatles. Pandemonium. Immediately, the Beatles will even start screaming. The girls are standing in the front rows of seats. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And we're all lined up 
Beatles come on, they sit down, they start to play. Well, immediately, the girls primarily rush the stage. And I'm thinking, where, for goodness sake, are the bouncers? And the chap beside me, who had also, I didn't realize, who I'd also recruited as a bouncer, but he's panicking more than most. And at the, just at this very moment, he turns to me. I had no idea what was happening. He said, Andy, for goodness sake, what is happening? And I said, don't worry, it's only Beatlemania. Can't so where did the word come from? Uh, I have no idea where the word came from. It, uh, it seems to have cut a cord. There is no evidence to support this story or really any way to verify his claim. So all we can do is take it with a grain of salt and move along. The first use of Beatlemania I can find in print is from 13th of October issue of The Observer. Television reviewer Maurice Richardson reviewed the 9th of October broadcasts of Don Hayworth's The Mersey Sound documentary. The program about the Beatles and allied groups of performers and the whole phenomenon of the Beatle boom was an excellent little documentary, light and fast yet packed with significance. It gave you a strong contemporary feeling. The degree of Beatlemania, with fans sleeping under Beatles' windows and sending them jelly babies by the ton, seemed to be fairly acute. This review was published the same day as the London Palladium show, but had nothing to do with it. Eight days later, the Daily Mail became the first newspaper to use Beatlemania as a headline for an article written by Vincent Mulcrone after he spent a train journey with the Beatles. The Page 8 article, titled... This Beatlemania included an anecdote about a run-in the Beatles had with a first-class passenger on a different train journey that would almost word-for-word word be recreated in their debut film. What they don't understand is the tight-lipped disapproval of wary elders. Rather than explain it, they acted it out for me as we rocked and rolled on the Liverpool-London Express. They don't plan their acting. It just happens. There was this feller, said John, becoming the feller. He opened the compartment door. Ugh. You could read him. What are this lot doing in a first-class compartment? At this stage, let me confess, I could see the feller's point. The beetles sprawled legally over British railway cushions. The window was wide open, a radio blared. Seats and floor were a litter of science fiction magazines, cola tins and straws. In the reenactment that followed, the feller strode to the window, snapped, do you mind if we have this closed? And closed it. Then, we'll have this off if you don't mind. Not allowed on trains, you know. And he switched off their radio. The exchange that followed was brief but biting. It ended with the older man saying, with crushing venom, I fought in the war. In reply, the Beatles chanted in unison their most diabolical insult. Ah, they said, you're one of those people who stay at home at night and watch television. The story, I think, draws the Beatle battle line, and what is quite as revealing about them is the outcome of that particular battle. It was they who left the compartment. Whoa. Do you mind if we have it open? Yes, I do. Yeah, but there are four of us, and we'd like it open. Not if it's all the same to you, that is. It isn't. I travel on this train regularly, twice a week, so I suppose I have some rights. So have we. Well, thank you. Well, uh, an elementary knowledge of the Railway Act would tell you that I'm perfectly within my rights. 
Yeah, but we want to hear it. There's more of us than you. We're a community and charity vote up the workers and all that stuff. Then I suggest you take that damn thing into the corridor. Not some other part of the train. Where you want to slip along. Give us a kiss. Look, mister, we pay for our seats too, you know. I travel on this train regularly, twice a week. Knock it off, Paul. You can't win with his sword. After all, it's his train, isn't it, mister? And don't take that turn with me, young man. I fought the war for your sword. I bet you saw you won. I shall call the guard. Ah, but what? They don't take kindly to insults, you know. Come on, let's go and have some coffee and leave the kennel to Lassie. And then Beatlemania started catching on. On the 25th of October, Newcastle's Evening Chronicle used the term as a front-page headline to explain fans queuing two days in advance to buy concert tickets. The following day, a headline in the Birmingham Evening Mail and Dispatch cried, Beatlemania is spreading still. The next day, the term appeared for the first time in the Sunday Mirror and Sunday People newspapers. On the 28th of October, Brian Epstein's lawyer, E. Rex Mackin, defended a 17-year-old boy in Liverpool Magistrates Court who had been caught breaking into a store to steal a black raincoat. Mackin's defense was that the boy was, quote, like so many youngsters today, thinking more of clothes and hairstyles than hard work. He wanted this black Mac for Christmas, being one of many with Beatlemania, and now found himself in court because of this stupid act. 28th and 29th of October also saw Beatlemania used for the first time in London's Evening Standard and American headlines in newspapers such as the Baltimore Sun, the Detroit Free Press, and the Miami Herald. On the 1st of November, after the Beatles' triumphant return from Sweden, the Daily Herald titled their article, Beatle Fever. And the following day, the Daily Mirror exclaimed the most often cited headline, Beatlemania! Written in all capital letters, underlined in bold, the article covered the start of the Beatles' autumn tour the previous night in Cheltenham, alongside a photo of a screaming girl fan tearing at her hair and held back by the hand of a policeman. How would you define Beatlemania? I couldn't define it. You know, a lot of people have tried. I'm not going to try. Leave it to the psychologists and let them get it wrong. Before the Royal Command performance, just before the London Palladium, and well before Ed Sullivan's show, the term Beatlemania was coined to describe the organic phenomenon of Beatle fans across the United Kingdom. In 1968, Hunter Davies wrote, Beatlemania descended on the British Isles in October 1963. It didn't lift for three years, by which time it had covered virtually the whole world. There was perpetual screaming and yah-yahing from hysterical teenagers of every class and color, few of whom could hear what was going on for the noise they were making. They became emotionally, mentally, or sexually excited. They foamed at the mouth, burst into tears, hurled themselves like lemmings in the direction of the Beatles, or just simply fainted. Throughout the whole three years, it was happening somewhere in the world. Each country witnessed the same scenes of mass emotion, scenes which had never been thought possible before and which are unlikely to be repeated. Today, it all sounds like fiction, yet it was only yesterday. In 62, uh, you know, we were touring in a van and people were laughing at us. I mean, you know, they were, that's how our career started. They were laughing at us in Scotland and places like that. And then they got interested and then they got to really listen and like us. And then this screaming thing started. They used us as an excuse to go mad the world did, and then blamed it on us. 
and we were just in the middle of that in a tr in a car or so, a hotel room. We couldn't really do much. I mean, we couldn't go out. We couldn't, you know, couldn't do anything. For us, it was just a, a drag. You know, we knew that they wouldn't hear anything because it's just, you know, like a riot and not not sort of like a show, you know. It felt dangerous, you know, because everybody was out of hand and out of line. Even the cops were out of line. You know, they were all just caught up in the mania. You know, it was like they were in this big movie and it was like we were the ones trapped in the middle of it while everybody else was going mad. We were actually the sanest people in, in the whole thing. Why do we remember Beatlemania and not Sinatra mania or Elvis mania? The scale of Beatlemania was unprecedented, but it turns out that fan fever has a rich history. In fact, the Lincoln Star in November 1943 wrote that No one seems to have evolved a cure for the Sinatra mania that is afflicting the adolescent females of the country. And in 1957, a distressed parent wrote to guidance counselor, columnist, Richmond Barber, to ask, Is there any way to make our silly little girl stop her Elvis Presley mania? Barber's response was, in part, to be patient. If your daughter was not giddy over him, she would be equally giddy over someone else. For whatever reason, these terms didn't stick for these artists. Giving fandom the term mania was not new to the 20th century, either. Credit goes to Greg Jenner and his entertaining history of celebrity, Dead Famous, for the information in this section. On the 1st of December, 1804, a child actor, William Henry West Betty, better known as Master Betty, made his London stage debut in Barbarossa at the Theatre Royal, Covent Garden. Previous tours of Ireland, Scotland, and Northern England had raised the profile of this young prodigy, and demand for tickets in London was so frenzied that riots broke out. Scholar Geoffrey Cahan marks this as the birth of celebrity culture. Popular, he writes, does not begin to capture the fever Betty inspired. The phenomenon of Master Betty was so unusual, the press came up with a new word for it, Betty Mania. Jenner writes that Welsh actress Sarah Siddons had inspired Siddons Mania in the late 1700s before Master Betty, but it's unclear if the term was used at the time. Upon her death in June 1831, the Cheltenham Journal and Gloucestershire Fashionable Weekly Gazette wrote that, quote, her career upon that stage, which she rendered so celebrated, has never seen her like again. There was also George Gordon Byron, better known as Lord Byron, who became a literary phenomenon in 1812. He inspired such cultish fervor in his female readers that his later-to-be wife, Annabella Milbank, coined the term Byron Maniacs that year to describe them. Like the Beatles, Byron received huge volumes of fan mail, some of the letters were quite erotic and often anonymously written. And then, in the mid-1800s, Hungarian composer and virtuosic pianist Franz Liszt became the rock star of his time. Not only was he insanely talented and a showman, but Liszt was also long-haired and handsome. He got the ladies in a tizzy, as German poet Heinrich Hein wrote. Hein coined the term Listomania during the 1844 concert season in Paris, and declared, 
How powerful, how startling was the effect of his mere appearance. How vehement was the applause which greeted him. Bouquets were thrown at his feet. Unlike his predecessors who catered mainly to the upper classes, Liszt had a more general appeal and following after his celebrity began in Berlin in 1941. So it was not such a jump to go from Betty mania to Byron mania to Listomania to Beatlemania. The precedent for calling a social phenomenon manic was already in place. The difference, of course, was the scale of Beatlemania, which completely eclipsed anything that had come before. Young people had always gone crazy for their idols, but the early 1960s had more young people than ever, the so-called baby boomer generation. The number of teenagers, combined with a changing and loosening of society, resulted in the biggest phenomenon the world has ever seen. Dorian Linsky wrote in The Guardian in 2013, To love the Beatles in 1963 was to embrace modernity. There have been countless other groups since who have inspired the screaming, the queuing, the waiting, the longing, the collecting, the craving, but none quite compare to the Beatles. How long do you think Beatlemania will last? As long as you all keep coming. <laughs> the Beatles are great! Mommy and Miss Esso! Thanks for listening. If you'd like to submit a question or topic for a future episode, or you have additional information about the history presented in one of these episodes, you can write to me by email to gimmesometruthpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at gimmesometruthpod. I post episode artwork and other relevant visuals on these platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a future episode. See you next week.